Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Well, thank you, Dick Warren, and welcome to another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way. Here uh, with me, the beautiful and talented Alex Terranova. Alex, you hold the PC designation, is that correct? It is correct, and thanks for calling me beautiful. You know, that's all I need, pretty much. Tacos and you to tell me that I'm pretty, and then we're good to go. Well, you can get your own damn taco, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, uh, anything to report? Anything you want to share with the class? You know, I, I think the only thing I would share, because it's the first time it's ever happened to me, I went through my first time of wanting to quit having my own coach. And like, it was something that was, you know, in my, in my space, like I just felt like things were stagnant and, and whatnot. And because of the wonderful training I'd received and the amazing humans around me, I made my head going, you can't not have a coach. That's not allowed. And so I was in this, you know, um, uh, this, this two choice situation where it was like suffer or do something that I felt like was wrong. And I actually went to my coach yesterday and I told him what was going on. And I said, you know, I think what would be different for me is if we had this conversation in partnership instead of me saying, I want to do what, 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 you know, whatever it was. And we had the coolest conversation probably one of the best coaching conversations and I've had, I've had in a long time. And it, it was just, it like re-sparked and reminded me. Um, first off, I wish every client brought quitting conversations right. like I did. <laughs> um, but it reminded me that coach, how powerful coaching is as a partnership versus when it's one dimensional, when it's either the client has to do everything or the coach has to do everything. It's just so much more fun and so much more powerful to bring it. So at the end of it, you know, still have a coach, don't want to quit coaching. Not, I don't mean as a profession, but having a coach. And um, there's some cool breakthroughs to be had. I appreciate it so much what you share, not only because of the authenticity, but because it's a reminder that uh, for most of us, it's always, as coaches, it's always a better idea to have a coach, right? Yeah. I've, the first thing I ask coaches when I meet them is, you know, not like, how's your business or, uh, you know, what's your specialty, but do you have a coach? Mm -hmm. I had an interesting, uh, I had a complimentary session yesterday with someone looking to hire a coach who arrived and I, as a good coach would, I asked, what do you, uh, what would you like to get out of our session or how would you like to use our time today? And it was uh, unusual because the person said, I, I don't think this will provide anything. <laughs> so now it's a dare, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting way to start, but uh, it all worked out. Um, thank you. So that's Alex Terranova. You can find him on thedreammason.com. Also author of the book, Fictional Authenticity, as well as the host of the Dream Mason podcast, available here at Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. Anything else to promote, share, or uh, sell? Uh, I don't have anything to sell right now. I mean, I'll make something up. Ready? No. <laughs> No, I always, yeah. I always actually, I actually just always want people to go to the, uh, the dreammason.com and take the free, um, I just blanked on my own thing. Uh, the free, um, authenticity audit. 
And it's, it's just a, it's basically a little questionnaire where you get to really discover how authentic you are based on kind of real life situations that happen to people and how you would respond to them. Okay, good. So authenticity audit, although we're not saying you're an authentic, we're just saying you should take the audit. Yeah. Yeah. Authentic, not authentic. How do we, how do any of us know, right? This is, you know, Whatever oh, Christopher says. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I want to shout out that Accomplishment Coaching, the longtime sponsor of this program, uh, is the home of the world's finest coach tra training program, ICF accredited, of course, and has a program starting in these following cities. Check this out. New York City, San Diego, Seattle, Washington, Washington, D.C., as well as I think that's every place, Victoria, British Columbia, and Chicago rounds out that. So if you're within a spitting distance of any of those places or would like to find out more, go to accomplishmentcoaching.com and we thank them for their long time support of this year program. Hey, I went to that um, ACTO conference, you know, and we've, we've had a lot of conversations since that conference with a lot of people and I'm delighted that our uh, guest today has taken the time to be with us. Um, You've got you to gotta love the title of their talk, Coaching Cognitive Distortions. Doesn't that already, I'm, I'm hooked, right? An extraordinary powerhouse holding a master's degree in MCC and more. We're delighted to welcome to our microphones for, I think, the first time. Is it the first time you've been with us? Yes, it is. Dijan Jenko. The Thank you for having me. Jenko Coaching. Thank you so much for being with us. A look around outside. Where are you? Where in the I world? I am right now in Philadelphia area, and this year kind of anchored me in here, <laughs> like every one of us. And um, I'm still here. <laughs> I spent a year in Philadelphia, so I send condolences. And, uh, <laughs> I take it. I take it, and I'm glad we're doing this today because yesterday we had very strong winds with the storm, and um, it's more calm. Well, I'm delighted to have you uh, with us. Your, the subtitle of your talk was Resolving Erroneous Thinking One Mind at a Time for a Cultural Renaissance. If you could, if you could address, I mean, erroneous thinking, immediately we're in, uh, we're in think, a, a dualistic setup right of good or bad or right or wrong or erroneous or correct so i know that that's one of the things you actually address as part of erroneous thinking so can you help me wrap my brain around how erroneous thinking is part of erroneous thinking <laughs> okay thank you for that question um if we look at it the the way that cognition is described there are actually five ways that we can um, have the cognitive process one is it's called the authentic truthful that you see whatever it is and you understand without interpretation <laughs> if any one of us can do that exactly what it is right and that's called cognitive correct cognitive process and then there is the abstraction that generation of something and the the third one is the often that we are facing which is the misconception especially learning if you under if we all uh, reflect on it, it engages the generational process so then uh, it's likely that we are being introduced with a lot of our learning 
is being introduced, the cognitive injuries, I, I would say, <laughs> through our generations. And then the memory recall, whatever is being produced, whether truthfully or through the misconception, we will keep recalling that and as we relate to life. And then basically the last one is to uh, while we learn while we are at sleep. So when I'm talking about erroneous process, and if we are specifically thinking about what's happening in, in around our world creates um, tension, it, and one wonders that when was this introduced, right? If our caretakers, whether they were our parents or somebody, saw another kind of a tribe or a human being and felt maybe that is something we need to be fearful about, we're automatically going to be introduced to that concept then we carry that until there is a coaching conversation or we do a self-reflection to figure out what is that. And we may not even be aware of that. And that kind of runs the show behind the scenes in our <laughs> unconscious as we live through life autopilot. So that's what I wanted to really bring awareness to that concept, as I call that Irene's thinking. I want, I, you know, I, w I would love to almost take like a step back for a second because I'm sitting here and I'm like, whoa, that, that was a lot that just hit us right away. And with, it seems like without a lot of context, mm -hmm. I was like, wait, I don't even know what we're talking about. And I, so I, I would love to kind of hear um, maybe something to set up the foundation of when we talk about cognitive distortions, like I hear you breaking down the different ones, but what is it even like when I hear it, when I read it first, the first thing I thought of was like cognitive dissonance, um, which is more people use it a lot like in psychology. But when we're talking about this, like how can we set this up for coaches mm -hmm. that have no idea what we're talking about to just give us a little foundation? Like, what is this? When does it come up? How, how would we see it with our clients? We see it in our clients that any thought pattern that creates discomfort or uh, creates, if we accept ourselves as the creative, resourceful and whole, right? In, in the form of we uh, think uh, as the coaches, then anything gets in the one's being that seeing themselves in that way limits them in any way. It it's comes to be a cognitive distortive thought pattern. And uh, often, I think these are some of those things are cultural. This is why I, I brought the concept of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough, for example. It's part of that thought pattern. Um, I am bad. Um, any kind of thing, I can't do it. So whatever it is that these can occur and also can occur in different ways that anything creates uh, this harmonic response to another, um, I'm going to say life existence, whether we are thinking, okay, this is good, this is bad. That sort of religion is good, that sort of religion is bad. That sort of race is good, that sort of thing is bad. And so anything that gets against our true nature when we feel 
not comfortable any thought pattern, it's going to be indicative of a cognitive distortive pattern. And um, for example, maybe this will relate to a lot of people how this is introduced. I was in a grocery store. This little beautiful little girl was dancing in the hallway like a butterfly. And the mom comes in and starts yelling at her, don't dance here, that's not appropriate, people are gonna think you're crazy. What's the likelihood of that girl is going to be able to dance again, right? So then she associates, if I dance, I will be interpreted as crazy. And that's gonna stay in there until a coach asks them those kind of questions to that, to come forward and recorrect itself. Does that make any clearer? Yeah, no, I think you explained it really well. It all, it's, it's what I heard is, it's like a different cognitive, distortion is just a different way that we can refer to when anything that we think doesn't actually like line up. It doesn't support, it's limiting, it doesn't support the life we want to live, or it's just not supportive of our life, even if we're not clear, like if we're sick and dying and it's because of the way we think, we could say that's a... Absolutely, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Thanks for explaining it. Yeah, pleasure. I feel like I under... Uh, under introduced you one of the things that is true is that you've got this unique approach where you bring in somatic pieces as well as transcendent pieces to a kind of neuroscience approach right in coaching and it's just fascinating to me and it's fascinating mostly because i know nothing about it is it at at, at one and the same time i noticed that i'm both fascinated by it and want all coaches to know more about neuroscience as well as these somatic, somatic elements of coaching. And at the same time, I'm terrified that we're woefully undereducated in these areas. Is there a beginning place for coaches who are interested in learning more about any of these that you recommend these days? Is there a book that you give people or suggest to people or a, or a talk or one of your talks that you recommend? Thank you for that question, Christopher, that absolutely. I actually developed a program myself. Um, it's called Jenko Method Somatic Coaching and Yoga Training. It's going to start in August, as of August 29. It's gonna go about six and a half weeks. And I developed that for the um, listeners that they are not aware, I am, uh, master certified coach as well as a skillful and trained yoga meditation and mind-body teacher. So I actually taken my path from an education from both of the ends and I'm also uh, holding a bachelor's degree in electronics engineering. So I kind of <laughs> Oh look at the human beings as a robot and how they come together and what when when we are in alignment what happens so i end up doing a lot of research and finally find a way to marry them both that um in that training i will be teaching more about um how when we have these sort of unhelpful thoughts how they kind of reside inside the human being and um, what kind of 
inquiries as a coach will be helpful and and some movement also because uh, sometimes these deeply pressed emotions it's harder to uh, connect by just language of inquiry we may need to place the people into the position that where they start to feel the emotion and then offer the uh, somatic inquiry that might be helpful too and that's and that's where the yoga and somatic sort yes. of overlap will you tell me the title again it went by very quickly and i want to make sure i capture it this Thank this you. program that begins in august 29th of 2020. jenko method of somatic coaching and yoga training great and how i'm sorry you said it but i didn't capture it how many weeks it's going to be about six and a half weeks and uh, it's uh totals up about 40 hours of somatic uh, mentor coach sessions and about over 104 hours of uh, total training includes the self-practice and student case studies and, um, and yoga training as well. It's just fascinating. I know, Alex, you study yoga. Um, have you found that there's a connection for you, or you, is this something that you can see from your separate studies of coaching and yoga? I don't know if, I've st I, don't know if I study yoga. <laughs> I do yoga. Um, what, I, what I do notice, though, is I've read a handful of books on neuroscience. I've read a handful of books on Buddhism and um, uh, books on mindfulness and meditation. What I notice is a lot of those things correlate to what we do in coaching it almost seems like there's actually one book that i read that i always think of it's called eastern mind western body and that kind of reminds me of this like what we do as coaches traditionally i want to say is kind of the western version and i like to think that what i've learned about neuroscience and buddhism is more of and neuroscience is probably more western but like the brings it kind of together and it, it seems like one feels a little bit more um, maybe the org more organic, like one flows more organically and the other is a little more, um, like so we created it to, to support, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm not making a lot of sense here, but, <laughs> but I do, I think they're really supportive of each other. And while it might not be yoga, I do think these kind of like Eastern modalities support my practice a lot. And if I didn't, if I didn't utilize them, I wouldn't be able to show up as a coach powerfully. It's really, it's really important. I think well-being, we can all agree, is the foundation. And of course, when we go to coach executives or people in the corporate world, it's often the first thing to go, right? Uh, you know, is, oh, we've got to work, so I just won't work out or I won't eat well or I won't stick to my regimen. By focusing coaches back on movement and their somatic experience, Tijin, are you are you expecting us to bring that into our clients or is there actual training and mentoring you do of coaches of how to bring uh, more focus on well-being to our clients? Is that clear? Yeah, thank you, Christopher. The, the, in, in the, I created an intro video for that training and I even mentioned there that sometimes you're going to meet with people in the boardroom that even the concept of yoga or anything gonna be outside of a discussion. 
So we don't need to go to, um, as we know in any, any coaching, that we don't need to push people into a place that they're not comfortable. But I introduced this concept as an executive well-being coaching. And even if your inquiries are inclusive, the whole being of the human being, instead of just their thoughts, and in order for you to get to there, you need to gain the language as a coach. So you need to be comfortable as a coach. And even just asking them, okay, so I'm, I'm feeling tense. If the client says, where is the tension? And what's your relationship to that tension? Sort of an inquiry starts to create awareness what's happening inside the human being without getting deeper into the yoga practice. It just gives the language. And of course, if they're open for it, I'm sometimes invited to the statistician conference and whatnot, like when they see I teach yoga, oh, can you teach us a chair yoga? Okay, I didn't think I was going to do that. But you know, there are ways that you can actually engage and have different dialogues and invite them as we always invite our clients. Yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of how we we like separate the mind and the body and I'm, I, when you were just sharing that I was thinking about how there was a day I was lying laying on a yoga mat and I got a cramp in my leg and I had the thought I need to get out of this I need to it's uncomfortable right I need to get out of this and something because of coaching said just stay here stay in the uncomfortable position stay with the cramp and just see what happens and so I just tried to breathe because it hurts. It was painful, right? And pretty quickly, it like dissipated and went away. And I was sitting there and the cramp went away. And it, it reminded me to kind of to, to the point, like, where does it hurt? What does it feel like? What's your relationship to that thing? And it, it, it was such a great metaphor for how we do life, right? We find ourselves in an uncomfortable, I need to get out, I need to get out, I need to get out. So often we do, we get out instead of wait let's just stay here be with it feel it and it will pass is that kind of what we're talking about where we go where we look at the somatic and the, the feeling combined with the inquiry yes and also that certain thought patterns such as i am not good mm -hmm. i'm not enough and and so on right um what happens is that we create there we connect them in such a deep way that we can no longer associate what is I am and what is that thought. Mm -hmm. If that thought becomes part of the I amness of human being. So when we sort of create these relationships, just like anything we, we are coaching, like what's your relationship to that person? Then we start to create this relational inquiries. What's your relationship to this pain? When that occurs, what happens for you? And what do you need to do in order to find the freedom? So that's just like you were coaching yourself, stay here. And additional inquiries would be that what is producing that thought? 
that what happens if you leave, what happens if you don't. So, and that's what I also call Jenko method of reconstructive inquiry, creating more space within side of us, between us and the thought patterning, that also part of the somatic inquiry. It's a it's great point because the thing that I didn't wouldn't even have realized without listening to you was in that moment when that all happens, the thought that goes with this hurts and I'm in pain and I'm cramping is I'm not flexible. I'm not good at this. I need to get out. Now that's really subtle in the background because the pain is more focused. But when you said it, I was like, what's the thought? And instantly, whenever I'm in a yoga class and the teacher does a move that like my body just at this at this point does not do there's almost a little laugh and I'm like, <laughs> I can't do that. And it's, but that's a, it's not that I can't, right. It's a, that's a pretty strong belief. I can't do that. And it goes along with it. And it's un, for the most part until you're saying it now it's un. Um, I don't look at it. I'm unaware of it. It's just automatic and it, it connects with my body, my mind, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And Alex, you're not alone, right? There are also culturally, this is where it goes back to Christopher's first question. We say that men are not flexible. Whether you're flexible or not, you are learning that. And men needs to look strong and not bend. And if you are, then maybe you are going to be automatically categorized <laughs> in a different sexual orientation or whatever it is, right? So then all those programmings are running the show in the neuroscience way, hijacking your system and making a decision for you. So, and, and recognition, all that, this is why I was saying all inclusive to human being inquiries around that are helpful to identify deeply rooted patterns well and speaking of deeply rooted patterns one of the things I wanted to get to today is your list mostly because I'm mostly because I'm guilty of most of most if not all of these of linguistic representations of distortive thought patterning in English-speaking culture First of all, we should point out that you've lived in the U.S. as well as the United Kingdom, but also in Spain, in Turkey, and in India. So you know whereof you speak when, it talk, when you speak about cultural differences. But, um, so this linguistic representations of distortive thought patterning, will you tell us why you created this and how it's useful? I was, when I was, thank you for that question. When I lived in corporate, I had about 23 years of corporate life. And I recognized that the way that everybody was talking, it was already generating a lot of stress when there is no reason for it. And often that I would meditate and then go into the office and people say, without me saying anything, ah, you came and we felt better. And so I realized that they, they were using things like, oh, we need to put up a fire and we need to win. There is the often corporate language is we have to win against this and we have to do that and we got to knock this out. <laughs> and so then you recognize there is a lot of aggression in the language. And we see whatever we need to do is like we are in a battlefield. We have to fight against this. We have to fight 
against the other thing. And if we then, if our language is representing that, then we often also feel like helpless against some sort of a demon out there as a project. <laughs> we have to fight and, and instead of thinking, oh, look at this, how exciting. So there are different ways to look at these things. And that's when it starts its roots. But then I also started to um, listen my clients in the sessions that they were um, talking, whether either talking about their illness, that I have to fight uh, against this illness, or, you know, time is ticking, ticking bomb, this and that. So, and I often support them or create awareness about their languages. And as they change and the things change. So um, that's what I wanted to create awareness around language especially now that we want to come and create more peaceful cultural collective environment and as we continue to verbalize things like hit the nail on the head <laughs> um, so it's going to be harder if we continue to talk like that that's my opinion Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I was, uh, Alex, did you see the list? Did you go over the list? Because I was astounded at how many of these I use just every day, just normal you know, day-to-day -day language, right? Um, and and I can't I can't tell you which ones I do more than another, but you probably can. But all the all of Island, right? Killed it, nailed it, crushed. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah, all the um I've actually been with all the um I wanna say with like all the, the racial conversations and things going on right now a lot of things like that have come up too, like words that are, um, that have evolved through, uh, I wanna say like racist culture or white supremacist culture. Uh, it reminded me of that. Like it's a similar, not that these are racist, but the idea that language has these, these sub, this subtle or um, 
just how powerful language is that it, it's it's rooted into right into our system and our beliefs and we don't even see it yeah. well it's true and some uh you know i was i was hamstrung a little bit when i was going down the list and some of these things i i i love things like i have actually told my beloved spouse that she is drop dead gorgeous and when i saw it on the list i thought what the hell am i saying dropped it like that's not a that's not a good image right so um some of the things i notice are colloquial and i and i can start to bring my awareness to it but to your point alex that in here you've listed people of color as a superiority or non-inclusive framework and i've just you know been practicing saying people of color so as to be culturally aware and inclusive and a better human um and especially being a white guy with some ties, right? It's sort of important that I lead the way language-wise. How, how do you see, speaking of people of color, by using that phrase, is, is a distortive thought? Yeah, thank you for that question. Again, that it all depends on how we use it and what's appropriate, right? Um, when we are using the language or process of discrimination to appreciate, it's helpful. When we are using the discriminative language to alienate, that's not. And, and one thing that we do in our language is often discriminate to understand is this a, a friend or foe, you know? And so when is appropriate to really inquire about somebody's color, maybe when you're giving them a makeup advice, right? <laughs> or giving them a, <laughs> a protection advice for skincare. Otherwise, who cares and who needs it? And, and so we're inserting things in, in our language when it's not necessary. And even if you the form, the grammar of English language starts with our sexual orientation or some sort of a pronoun, that's not, there is nobody's business and it's not necessary, right? We, we, <laughs> we don't need to get into the stuff. It's not necessary unless there is a, a need for it. This is why I meant like, who cares that I am a white and as somebody in a color, unless there is an appropriation of that exchange. Great, okay, so my understanding is that this is to bring awareness to us, and as long as we're using something intentionally and with good intent, no problem. I do love your point about oh, skincare, though, and Alex, we should talk later. We, there's, it's, I think I shared with Christopher, I got in a, uh, I got in a car accident this weekend, and when I was sharing with certain people, like, the circumstances around the car accident, some of the first questions people asked were, well, what was the person? And I went, what do you mean, what was the person? They were like, I I was like, so I was very, I was actually very proud of myself because like I was very flat and matter of fact about everything. Here, give me the paperwork. Let's go on our way. Let's not waste a lot of time. No one was hurt. Like that's the only thing that really matters. But a lot of the people when I was sharing family, friends, it would be like, well, what, what race was the person? And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? And it was because they didn't have their insurance on them. They didn't have a license. So all of a sudden, right, people's, like we're having this talking about people, the language of what someone is, what we identify, like people needed that to make the story almost like make sense to them. 
And I'm thinking about when I see this on here, when I was listening to you, how as men, often when we talk about like intimacy with women, a lot of these words are used in like locker room kind of conversations with men about intimacy with women. And they're not necessarily positive, positive uh, ways to express intimacy. Do you know, am I, am I just, Christopher's looking at me like I'm crazy. I, like, I'm, I'm not picking up what you're laying down, man. What well, you, I mean, I don't want to read the... <laughs> maybe I have to go to a locker room. Well, I'm looking at this list and I'm going, man, if you put a bunch of, you know, teenage college guys together and you, and you talk about intimacy, you're going to hear nailed it, crushed it, killed it. Right. All these things when it comes to sex. Oh, God. Right? Like, like it is like men, young men's relationship to, I'm, I'm touching on different things here, like how it's weaving in in different ways in our culture, but like, right in the car accident, it was a racial thing, right? Like our stereotypes in, in young men's relationship to sex with women, it's a very like power dominated, almost like men, when the way young men talk to each other about being with women is like violent. Um, and it's, and when you see it and when you step out of it, you're like, wow, that's really weird. Why would we say, why would a guy say to another guy, oh, I killed it uh, in an, if about an intimate situation, that's a very odd thing out of con, right? Yeah. And so. competitive, right? So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, damage can be done or reflected in the language is what I'm hearing from Tijin's points here. And I kind of I kind of hear it as a invitation, Tijin, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, that we can keep this list. It's a it's a very broad and, and inclusive list, but we can keep that list and start to notice our own language and sort of add to it, right? Especially to bring awareness to habits of language or speaking that we want to eliminate or lessen yeah. in our work with our clients, right? Absolutely, and, and like Alex is pointing out, right, we want to create peaceful environment until our language changes, it cannot be. And if we are seeing our partner is somebody that we are going to have power over, or, or um, you know, as we are establishing as, uh, intimacy, as Alex is saying, and this is the, how we teach young men to be a young man, right? Then they are going to have that sort of an issue moving forward. So the more we become aware, self-aware, again, because um, as we know as coaches, our language is representative of what we can do or cannot do. Until our language changes, we can't really create the change we want to see in our lives. As long as we believe that we can't do something, we really cannot do it. So the language needs to change. Often that I have this language aware dialogue in my coaching sessions when client says, I want to, I then ask, want to or choosing? Because often when you, we choose, we feel the empowerment. I need to, it needs to become again choosing. So this is to again create awareness collectively. We start choose more peaceful words, kind words uh, about the uh, intimacy or any relationship with a thing or like a project. 
or with a, another being, living being, whether it's a, it's a plant, it's an animal, or it's, it's a human being. <laughs> I love this. I've got a, a couple of offshoots from this conversation. The first is, Alex, I want you to go, maybe I want to go talk to your girlfriend about whether after like one of your first dates, she ever got together with her friends and said, oh, I totally killed it. I totally nailed it. We uh, won't say <laughs> second thing, I don't think you know his girlfriend. Uh, the, <laughs> the second thing is, um, I really I really love that. I appreciate so much the, the simple, you know, uh, Sir John Whitmore, I was privileged to talk to him before his passing several years ago. And he was such a giant in our industry when coaching was being formed. And he kept saying that self-responsibility is the, is the number one learning for all humans, right? Is the number one issue that, that coaches can support with. And even recently, I have a perfectly lovely house for my family and I. And as Alex knows, I'm now considering moving to another perfectly lovely house that's somewhat bigger. And as we're trying to make this choice, I can hear the interaction that my wife and I have is we're each unwilling to choose, right? And it's kind of like, well, if the loan were to come through or if we can get this or if it's all sort of subject. And, and even as a coach, I forget that my first and only job is to put myself at choice and at cause. Mm -hmm. And then I will have power or dominion over the, and there I go again, dominion. Uh, over the over the issue um is there some way that you approach this beyond language what you call the language aware dialogue to focus your client's attention on their own empowerment on their own choices on their own taking the bull by the horns so to speak although that's probably on your list uh, <laughs> yeah oh, um so Alex was giving this example earlier about his relationship and choices in the yoga class, right? The, and, and then he realized there is the undertone, undertone of the thought patterning, right? So um, we really need to create awareness about what is the undertone of the thought patterning and what how do we actually understand that? If we don't, it's going to continue to do it in the autopilot. And uh, so, and in order for us to get there, we need to have some sort of an awareness. And that's where the choice becomes available. I say that um, not so free will because the free will is known to be the the most significant spiritual or physical gift of human race yet we don't exercise it our lives are run through the generational learning and there may be few things we add to it in our lifetimes <laughs> and then those things running the operating system in the background, crashing and all that, <laughs> our life. So in order for us to become aware of those, um, it's, it's an effort to become aware and then to free our will so that we can make the choice. 
I want to, I want to know what we do with this for, this is like great with, you know, people that are listening that are coaches or people that have coaches. And what about the rest? Like, what do you see for the rest of society and the world who, I love what you just said about, you know, we're essentially running our lives through generational learning, which is likely like why it takes so long for things to shift and change. You know, especially in the climate that we're living in in the United States, but really in the world, like how can coaches, you know, get out, like impact people that aren't hiring coaches, like make a difference in this all over the world? Thank you for that question, Alex. What I find is that there is an inherent inclination towards the peace and goodness. I choose my languages quite carefully, and sometimes I intentionally break the grammar to create attention. And um, so whenever I sign my emails with different um, farewell language, like stay with love, I receive a response right away with the same thing. So as coaches, we have the, I'm not going to say secret weapon, we have the secret sauce <laughs> that is to create invitation. And, and, is, and remember, it's the butterfly effect. If we create awareness of one person in our coaching conversation or in our life, their lives are going to touch many other lives. So that's why I call it, this is a secret sauce. And that's what I call it the one mind at a time cultural renaissance. We don't need to go out and try to conquer the world. (laughs) We need to actually gently shift the world by being seductively invitational towards peaceful language. (laughs) That's my secret sauce. What do you two think about that? I think it's it relieves a lot of pressure, first of all, because <laughs> um, I often find, at least for me, that my the, the dialogue running in my head is I'm not doing enough. You know, I'm like the the impact with the individual clients or the groups or whatever it is, is not enough to actually make a difference in the world. And I know that's this conversation in my own head with my own beliefs. It's not necessarily true, but it's nice to hear that, you know, one per make a difference for one person. I have one a client who showed up recently and had a lot of issues with the protesting and things that were going on. And we, we, I invited him into the conversation to just look at it from a different perspective. And it wasn't that anything was right or wrong. Just let's open it up versus what he thinks it to be. And at the end of the conversation, he, you know, was like, Oh my God, I never thought about looking at it like this. And he went to run his company that's all minorities that are that are that work for him. And it gave him freedom to actually be with them, to actually have open more open dialogue than the pretty much like him against them dialogue. And so it reminds me, it reminded me of that, like, hey, that one interaction, you know, for all we know, those guys that work for him went home and felt better about their job or their boss or felt safer. You know, who knows? I have no idea. But I think there's hope in that, that, hey, you don't have to go out and, you know, lead a march or speak in front of a million people. You can make a really big difference with one human being. What, and even if it's not your client, I love that through your emails or even just through 
you know, smiling maybe at someone at a store, you know, could make a difference. Absolutely. I appreciate the, the opportunity to reflect on it. The, what I notice is that I'm all for, you know, love and justice, right? The arc of justice bent, or the arc of, uh, you know, bends towards justice, but it takes so long. And I want to win and I want the other side to lose and I want to make sure that we win and I don't want it to take so long and I don't want it to lose so much in the process. So I appreciate the reflection or the opportunity to reflect on it because I can hear that that framework is not truly from love and it's not truly from justice. It's from wanting to win and prevail and have it my way, which I think is better. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks, I'll, I've got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. Let's, um, I would love to hear about, you know, when you look at your website, and I'm gonna spell it for people so they can, just so it's super clear. It's G-E-N-C-O coaching.com. You have tons of options for coaching programs, mentor coaching programs, leadership, um, whether it be wellness or executive coaching. Um, what do, what do you want people to know? Like, what do you want people to go there to find out? What do you want, what do you want to share with people about what you're offering right now and what people can take from your website? Thank you, Alex. I have basically in the upcoming uh, events section of my website, jankocoaching.com, I list the upcoming courses and I have regular mentor sessions uh, in each month. They often take uh, place in Thursdays. Uh, right now they are at 11 a.m. Sometimes I offer them in the afternoon. Um, those are people find them quite helpful because um, I call that uh, masterful coaching for highly evolved uh, consciousness. <laughs> so really, you really come there to deepen the understanding of yourself and then recognize those patterning in the clients. And then we look at how they relate to the coaching competencies. That's often um, a, a regular offering. And then I offer special trainings time to time, just like the somatic uh, inquiry, as well as yoga training that is coming up. I offer sometimes that for the newly uh, graduated coaches or they wanna re-establish their coaching uh, company in a different way that um, and a unique way to do the branding a niche because that really helps people to understand their true essence and how the true essence come into the way you express your vocation as a coach so um, there are basically I have uh, and then I also teach preparation course for national board certification of health and wellness coaches. Um, there are exams that happened uh, twice a year. I prepare uh, coaches for that. And I actually recommend that whether even people aren't interested in getting the board certification. Because in that training, I'm teaching as a package of 
whole bunch of evidence-based methodologies and ethics and red flags and um, the legalities and it's in a package and not that they are going to learn in depth of that but they're already learning those concepts in the coach trainings here they understand how they come about in a coaching conversation so that people don't understand for example what the conflict of interest can arise in a coaching conversation. They learn the concept, but they can't connect the links. And so that also helpful. And um, current offerings are those, but I change them pretty much every month. And um, it would be helpful if they, if what I'm saying resonating with the people, they can actually subscribe to that page or to the website to see what's coming up. Thank you for that. I appreciate you bringing it up, Alex, because it's so dense. You know, for many of us, our website is our last thing and frequently not updated and that sort of thing. But your website is not only updated with everything, including today's conversation, but it's got such a richness of value, both things that we can buy, but also a lot of free opportunities for coaches to learn or be involved in these conversations. So uh, if you don't mind, Alex, I'll, I'll echo your invitation for people to go to Genko, uh, Genko Coaching, sorry, G-E-N-C-O Coaching.com. And just look around, look at, click on the menu. You know, clearly the front page is more for people looking for a coach, but there's so much. And I appreciate you offering really affordable packages too. For example, four 90-minute sessions for mentor coaching. Really important for every coach to get sort of a brush up, if you will, move either move to the next credential level or be reminded of some current things, especially with the ICF changing everything from the code of ethics to the um, core competencies. Um, I guess you've, you've got such a richness of cultural experience, such a richness of intellectual education and a wide variety of endeavors from yoga to, you know, electrical engineering. I, I almost hesitate to ask you this, but I would feel terrible if I didn't. If you could wave your magic wand, and give one thing to coaches everywhere. If you could see, if you could address sort of the first priority for coaches, whether it's in North America or globally, whether it's in India or in Spain, what would you, what would you create? What would you have us take on as a coaching community? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, uh, Christopher. I would say that to make the free will free again right make the choices available again so that we can choose to respond we can choose our language we can choose our responses and we can choose har more harmony if that's what we want <laughs> and we can choose to vote <laughs> So that that's how we exercise our free will. That's what I would like. <laughs> Beautiful, Alex. I kind of want to. Um, I kind of want to end on that note. It was such a beautiful reminder for us everywhere. Is there anything that you see that we should add here? I don't have anything except if there's anything you know um, that uh, you want to leave us with before we wrap up. But I. No, I think there's a ton of value. I think I've gotten a ton of value. I have a ton of notes. I always judge podcasts that I'm involved in by how much I wrote down. 
And so I have a page, more than a page of notes uh, that I've learned myself. So thank you. Eugene, is there anything, our last minute is yours. Is there anything that you would add to your brilliance uh, to send us on our way today? I really appreciate and thank you for your kind words and um, thank you for creating this, such a beautiful, loving, caring environment and spreading your spark <laughs> of beauty and grace to the whole planet and beyond, hopefully. <laughs> and um, I just want to again thank you both for creating such um, caring environment for me and others to express themselves and i also wanted to remind again one more time please recognize your free will and make your choices conscious that's beautiful and again the website is genco coaching g-e-n-c-o-c-o-a hing.com. Go and register yourself for the August 29th, uh, six and a half week program or some mentor coaching or some coaching supervision, or just take a look around and get some of the free brilliance that is available there. Um, it's such a privilege. Uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for the time that you've spent with us today. And if you're willing, we'd love for you to stay on for another five or 10 minutes and we'll do some additional content just to tantalize our listeners. If you are uh, leaving us here, dear listener, I thank you for being with us. Remember, Alex Terranova is available at thedreammason.com. Our sponsor is Accomplishment Coaching. If you or anyone you know is interested in the world's finest coach training program, please check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com. There's a program near you for registration. And of course, Genco Coaching, G-E-N-C-O-C-O-A-C-H-I-N. Thank you, our dear listener, for being with us each and every week, bringing you people out on the cutting edge, doing things you need to know in the world of coaching or coach-related fields. And I thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>